0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Thanks, everybody, for coming in for another episode of Compound Performance Radio. I'm Kyle. I'm Matt. And we've got uh, Dr. Jared Boyd with us. And, you know, Jared, you can go ahead and probably, you know, (laughs) introduce yourself better than we can, but we're really excited to, to chat with you today.
2: Yeah, I'm excited for you guys uh, for for having me on. I appreciate that. Um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, I am Jared Boyd. I'm a a physical therapist, athletic trainer, uh, strength and conditioning coach, and a board certified specialist in sports physical therapy. Um, Currently working with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, of the NBA, so I'm a performance therapist for them. Uh, Been here for a year and a half, I want to say. Uh, prior to this, I had a very, very brief stint uh, with the, the military as a civilian a physical therapist. Uh, and then before that, I was three years at a sports uh, outpatient orthopedic uh, physical therapy clinic uh, called Rehab to Perform in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, so kind of a little bit of, uh, about me and kind of my matriculation to where I currently am. Yeah. So
0: we were we were kind of talking about this off air, but like if we look at your career trajectory and career path that's like what every aspiring college student who's in like strength and conditioning or exercise science like wants to be like they would just look at you and be like that's that's the guy that's what I want to do like he's a strength and conditioning coach for like the NBA he does PT physical therapy work with them like how did you how did you decide that this one this was going to be the path that you wanted to take and what were some of the steps that you took to get to where you are
2: yeah man, that's a good question it's one that I'm still trying to process, you know, of like, how, how did I actually get here? And I feel like we can always like tell ourselves whatever story that we want to, to tell ourselves in regards to the things that we believe got us to where we are. Um, but I, I guess if I had to give some kind of a concrete, tangible answer, it would be, uh, you know, for me having some semblance of, of like a goal or goals in place uh, of a process or a plan, but understanding that I would probably have to have uh, different iterations of that plan evolve over time, because we already know, you know, that you can could, you could set forth this ideal uh, program, even in regards to training, right? We can set forth this ideal periodization program, but a lot of times we have to be amenable to, to change. Um, so it has to be more agile. And I think that's the same for our professional landscape as well, when we're trying to get to a certain career path. So for me, it was understanding that, hey, I wanted to be Uh, a physical therapist. So I majored in exercise science and undergrad. Uh, And then from there, I had the opportunity to to go to school at uh, Shenandoah University, where they had they offered a dual degree um, track where I was able to get my doctorate in physical therapy, and my master's in athletic training. And I think it was around that time, once we started to have our clinical rotations that I was incredibly intentional and purposeful about selecting uh, clinical rotations that I thought would be more suitable for me and and kind of aligned with where I I potentially would want to go upon graduation. So having clinicals at EXOS, uh, University of Tennessee, their athletic department, and then the United States Air Force Academy, I think all of those things uh, really gave me a better a better premise and landscape for, for how, how to navigate uh, and negotiate, you know, the reconditioning process and physical preparation. Uh, and so I think with, with all those skills, uh, it just opened up a little bit more lanes for me to be able to traverse in uh, and, and not really putting myself in this one siloed uh, p- position. Um, and then I, w- I would say, you know, as I started to, to, to get into the workforce uh, with my first job, uh, I saw some things that I didn't necessarily prefer. And so I said, all right, well, how can I better set myself up for success by, by making sure that I can actually put to use the skills that I have? And so I started uh, really just reaching out to different clinics. And I think that's another thing too, like a lot of the, the, the positions that I've had the opportunity to, to have um, were bestowed upon me by had, taking initiative to reach out to those places, even if I didn't see anything on on uh, uh, Indeed, right? It's like, hey, I'm just gonna reach out, uh, introduce myself. I'm gonna attach my, my CV or my resume. Uh, and a lot of places ended up reaching back out. Uh, and one of those places was Rehab to Perform. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I, I started there for those three years. Uh, and I started to, from there, curate my uh, social media. And that's how I, I got kind of noticed uh, upon other things, but that was one of the the reasons why I got noticed in regard to the the job that I currently have with the Memphis uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think it's all about. Uh, obviously, you know, people say it's it's who you know, but it's also who knows you. And so if you want people to know you, you have to kind of be willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and put mm-hmm. your work out there and network and connect. Um, but then also making sure that not every opportunity is always going to be presented to you, you have to make sure that you're willing to uh, just reach out to people. Uh, and sometimes, you, you know, you you might not necessarily yield the outcomes that you're looking for but if you keep on and keep on trying that uh then, then i would have to imagine that something beneficial is going to be uh the, the end result of those continued uh you know exposures to reaching out to different companies and people i i genuinely
1: hope that everybody listening to that listens to that twice
2: yeah uh, rewind that take notes right
1: yeah it down. like that like that's <laughs> i think because that is a huge a huge misconception, I think in the industry that, you know, that, you know, you're a lot of people, I think kind of wait around for the opportunity to come to them. Right. And that that's probably even just like more of a human condition more so than anything else. Right. But, but I think in the industry, for sure, we see that expressed a lot where, People are posting on social media, or maybe they're in like a corporate gym and they're training their clients. They're like, oh yeah, like that, my next client's just gonna see me like working with this person, and they're just gonna come up to me and like hand me a, you know, their credit card and you know <laughs> want to start training, right? Or they're gonna see my post and shoot me a DM or, or whatever. And and the reality of it is, you know whether it's marketing or whether it's just reaching out and and to to different companies and to different organizations, like that's something that you have to be super proactive about in this field, whether it's strength conditioning or just personal training or whatever, because it is incredibly saturated and competitive. Now, I I think especially with the rise of technology and social media, even more so, you Mm. know, than, than when I got into it for sure. Um, so I, that's a huge thing. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I also really like what you said about um, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you as well. Yeah. And I think that was a, that was a really, really, really good point for the people who are looking at things and the not wanting to do things like you did where they're curating a social media platform or they're doing something like that because right now that's the easiest way for people to get out, get out there. And if you are continuously putting forth, your putting your best foot forward on social media and trying to give show people the best that you can offer, on social media now, it's kind of like what happened with you. It opens a lot of other doors because people now have another thing that they can look at to see, okay, what's this guy about?
2: A hundred percent. It really is. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, for me, my intention, you know, when I tried to, to put together some uh, some, some semblance of a successful, whatever that means um, social media uh, page on Instagram, it wasn't with the intention of me Really landing this this specific mm-hmm. job, but it was more so for me just to, to to really put my thoughts out there to critically think to have my uh, thought processes appraised by my peers. Uh, so that I can learn and unlearn different different biases uh, and get better as often as I possibly could, but then also um, as you both already alluded to, a, a means in which I could truly start to expand my uh, my network mm-hmm. um, and kind of discover what other people were doing and, and and what they were thinking about. So I think if you approach it that way, as a byproduct, the other things will come along for the ride inherently.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Authenticity is a, a yeah. major, major major thing in there. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I think looking at you know where you're at now. You know, it, it's amazing because the the whole Memphis staff is like, for me, like that's the dream team of Memphis. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm a big fan of everybody on that staff, you know, whether it's Chris or Eric or, or whoever, it, you know, it is just, when I saw you land there, it's just like, wow, <laughs> like that, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's something that, you know, looking at the industry in general and kind of looking at what your last year has been with, obviously, you know, COVID and you've had two seasons and like a super condensed off season. Mm-hmm. And I know that's going to affect your, your athletes as well. Like, what's that? I mean, what's your day-to-day and it, obviously that's a broad statement, but kind of what's your day-to-day kind of look like? What, what are your roles and responsibilities? Because I also don't think everybody probably knows the different parts that you all play, you know, yeah. when working with athletes and what, you know, your role as a physical therapist as well. Um, yeah. Kind of if you could walk us through that, I think that, yeah, be, really awesome.
2: Absolutely, for sure. Uh, I, I would say, <clears throat> in general, you know, when we look at most um, most organizations, you're going to be delineated into two overarching departments. One is going to be more performance-oriented, and one is going to be more uh, medical-oriented. So, you know, medicine, I'm thinking more of the reconditioning. So, if an athlete sustains some kind of a time loss or an extended time loss injury, or they have some kind of a post-surgical Um, surgery or procedure that's done, then they're they're likely going to spend more time under the uh, domain of sports medicine, as opposed to if we look at the off-season or even in-season where we're trying to maintain, they're likely going to spend more time under the domain of uh, sports performance, while also understanding that there has to be some kind of a, a symbiotic relationship between both of those because of the fact that a a physical therapist, and a strength coach may be sharing Mm. an athlete. So making sure that we have uh, just concise communication and we're succinct about, you know, what our objective key results or our our key performance indicators are for the season is going to be pivotal for the success of the athletes. Uh, So I think that's always important to, to keep in mind in regard to Uh, understanding, again, what our intentions are and and making sure that we're navigating the communication appropriately. But uh, in regard to the, you know, the specifics, uh, at least under sports medicine, our goal is really, you know, when I think about, and this might not necessarily be, as you talked about, Kyle, like ubiquitous to all uh, organizations, but I could, you know, speak for us if I'm giving just a a bird's eye view, um, that our, our main uh, mission is to, to really try to resolve or reduce some of the more basal level constraints uh, of the, the organism in regard to do they, do they possess the joint potentials uh, or joint potential, do they possess uh, basal level constituents from a, a isolated capacity perspective to then be able to integrate those more basal level uh, affordances into something that manifests as a more integrated, emergent kind of output or something where they're actually trying to uh, increase the expression of force uh, or increase the uh, expression of the rate of force, right? So any kind of iteration of of, of strength over a varying timescale. Um, but sometimes there might be different hindrances or constraints that will preclude them from being able to uh, gain a, a trainable uh, or a, a loadable, um, adaptable movement, then it's incumbent on us in our department to make sure that we kind of discover what is precluding them from doing so and then equipping them with the solutions to, to be able to uh, kind of coordinate those, those patterns together to something that is uh, quote unquote functional, whatever that is as well, which we can get into later. But um, I guess that's, that's, you know, when I look at roles and responsibilities, that's kind of how I would uh, delineate those two. Uh, domains and then in regards to just the day-to-day a lot of it is in season and out of season is is completely different in season I kind of think about it uh, and I had a post about this but you know in season is like we're trying to stave off or or decrease the rate at which we're going downhill Mm -hmm. so in the off season the goal is to build the the peak or, or increase uh, the, the height of the mountain so that it takes longer to come back down in the end season. Because in the end season, we think about the magnitude and the rate of stressors that they're exposed to in regard to the amount of games, 82 games. This season is 72. It's a little bit more condensed. Uh, but the amount of games, the density of games, uh, meaning back-to-backs, uh, the, the travel as well, which is going to really challenge um, the central nervous system, autonomic systems, uh, in regard to you know, potential deprivation of sleep uh, and just trying to negotiate um, you know time changes as well. All those things are gonna be added stressors into their stress capacity. So the, it's, it's really gonna be challenging for us to impart some kind of a stressor to say, hey, we're gonna build strength or we're gonna build power uh, because it's gonna be hard for their system to really uh, gain enough uh, of exposure to that to 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 truly adapt to that particular uh, stimulus because they're trying to really pre- uh, refine them refine themselves um, from the stressors of the game uh, night in and night out. So I would say that's the big difference in regard to in season versus uh, versus off season. So right now it's it's really just about management or maintenance uh, as well as. Making sure that we're we're doing a a decent job at quote unquote load management uh, and and a lot of that also has to do with communication and just you know just this hierarchy of what that individual in front of us at that given time needs uh, from a perspective of psychological, physical, or social types of um, uh, environments that will help them. To negate or combat uh, some of the challenges from from the frequent exposure of stressors from the basketball games, uh, so that's kind of uh, I guess a little bit of an aerial view of the the day to day but ho- hopefully that kind of answers the question to a certain extent
1: yeah i've always kind of made that 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 reminds me of kind of a, a micro example that i've always used with people as far as like a, think about like a hundred meter you know race right where athletes are really, you know, accelerating to a peak velocity and then it's basically who can decelerate the slowest, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is going to be your, your winner at that point after, you know, that kind of 30, 40 meter acceleration phase of of that race. And I think that makes a lot of sense from a macro standpoint, as far as how you're looking at the duration of a season and, and managing, you know, athletes from that perspective. And obviously you have athletes who, play every game, all game, you know, right. or, and then you've got athletes who are, you know, kind of on the end of the bench, You maybe your younger players or people who are just in, like in a role player role. And um, from a training perspective, and I know you're like, that might be, that's probably more on the performance side, but what is kind of their training and conditioning look like what are the differences there as far as like volume because even with all the travel and everything else like that 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 always kind of mystifies me as far as like how do you sneak that stuff in
2: like yeah yeah for sure good question i would say you know a lot of times the biggest the biggest factor if we look at all the different variables that we can manipulate within a training program uh, is going to be frequency i think is going to be key but then the other dials that we can maybe turn to up the volume or decrease the volume uh, in regard to adaptation or or, or maladaptation, which we obviously don't want, would be uh, the intensity or the volume. So the biggest uh, difference with those who are getting more minutes versus those who aren't is probably going to be the volume. So we wanna try to maintain uh, some degree of of intensity, Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe not at the same volume uh, for someone who is being exposed to games versus someone who doesn't get a lot of minutes or, or perhaps might not uh, play that season uh, because they're, they're they're more so on like the skill acquisition part where, where they, um, they they aren't quite there yet, but maybe in a year or two, uh, they might get more exposure to, to higher frequency in regards mm-hmm. to the amount of games that they're playing. So it's like, well, for them, uh, the intensity is, is going to be, Moderate to high for sure because that 's what 's going to truly drive the adaptations uh, again from a, a biomotor perspective, meaning strength, power, uh, speed those things. but uh, the volume I think is, is also going to be higher because they can afford that volume since they have the capacity to probably recover from those uh, from those frequent exposures as opposed to the the individuals who are currently playing volume might might overflow or exceed their uh, stress bucket, so to speak. And so uh, the big thing to make sure we maintain some semblance of whether it's tendon health or the reservation of uh, strength, uh, meaning force production or uh, their their power, making sure, how do we, how do we truly mitigate the decrement in those biological constituents? Probably going to be some uh, relevant dosage of intensity in regard to their lifts.
0: Now, following up on that, I would just be curious if how much does exercise selection play a role in that? Do you, do you change exercise selection versus for the person to either increase or dial, like dial up or dial down the intensity and volume? Like, or do you do you pretty much have them do fairly fairly similar things based obviously off of their their individuality and their individual differences, uh, but do you change and vary exercise selection for people based off of where they are in the season and what they need?
2: Mm, yeah, uh, I would I would say. The first priority would probably be, be if we look at it from like a hierarchy of needs would be, as you said, uh, what are their current constraints? What are they potentially challenged by? Uh, and and what, what is limiting their expression of being able to handle said intensity? So if something is precluding them and they don't have the affordances necessary for a movement, even though we believe that movement to be uh, a suitable type of, of modality, whether it's, let's say, a barbell back squat for example, um, which which a lot of uh, a lot of basketball athletes probably uh, don't have the muscular or musculoskeletal apparatus to, to do um, efficiently or effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, then then we would scale down or regress to. The, the next tier of a movement that would be a better, more valuable option for them to still get a sufficient stimulus. Uh, so I think that's the first priority is understanding what their limiting, uh, their rate limiters are from a movement perspective. Uh, and then from there, it's going to be what is going to be the potential, this is probably theoretical, but what's the potential cost of a, of, of a movement, right? So if we look at something like a a back squat versus a hack squat, then we could surmise potentially, again, theoretically, that a back squat might be a little bit more challenging uh, and and require an extended period of time to recover from as opposed to the hack squat where we can truly uh, isolate, even though it's an integrated compound movement, um, there's not this, this axial load uh, and so we can still, to a better degree, uh, make sure that we're allocating the stress to the quads or to the glutes, whatever whatever kind of tissue we think needs to be augmented. Um, as opposed to something that maybe has more complexity, I think more complexity is going to be more costly from a cognitive perspective and also uh, certain ramifications that could potentially um, be, be disadvantageous for the organism. So I do think that the exercise selection does matter in regard to what we think um, the, that stressor would impart on the, the individual. But a lot of it I would say first is gonna be based off of a potential evaluation of what they possess and what they don't possess uh, and, and constructing something that uh, yields the, the the best outcomes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that because, I mean, that goes along with a lot of the things that we talk with people about as far as, you know, complexity and and intensity, especially if intensity is what you want to drive, are going to have an inverse relationship almost all the time, right? Outside of some very select scenarios because of the cognitive demand, because of the skill acquisition. And, um, you know, so it's like... I love that approach where it's just finding the right tool for the job, for the yeah. for the right person and, and understanding what variable you're actually trying to drive and, and doing that in a more acute manner, potentially, you know, and, um, and it, even the assessing cost portion, I think is, you know, again, it might be theoretical, but I think we can also, you know, if we're looking at a hack squat versus a barbell back squat, like I do think, you know, just, we can make a pretty high assumptive guess that a back squat is going to have more potential just systemic cost yeah than, than what that that's going to look like from a hack squat from that perspective and
0: particularly with the nba the nba <laughs> players who are over 6'6 like you watch yeah, you're, them exactly. squat yeah. your, your <laughs> shortest player
2: yeah.
1: is 6'4 right with yeah. long, long femurs you know yeah. it's, uh, the thing,
2: yeah, the amount of work that they're doing, right, yeah, it, is going to be way, way more. Uh, yep. We have at you know, four times distance, so they're traveling more distance. So there's obviously inherently more, more work that's being um, imparted on on their system and and or those tissues. Yeah, so. Just I,
0: want a quick awful. aside that uh, because I'm over six foot, Jared Boyd just gave me the reason why I'm weak in the squat. So okay, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's science. That's why yes. I'm so weak. Matt, Matt finally got a good
1: excuse for that. Yes. As, as did I. You know, it's like Matt, Matt calls his squat weak and, on a podcast that I'm on. Basically, basically just troll, troll me. I'm pretty sure, but um, I can
2: attest that neither one of you are weak. I've seen your Instagrams; it is phenomenal. Yeah, y'all move some weight for sure. I,
0: I I do have one question for you at the very end that we do have to we,
1: I have to discuss and cover. So we'll get there. It's it's related. When when Matt says that, it kind of scares me sometimes. That's okay. We're we're gonna roll with it. Um, So I, I think you know, bridging into kind of the second topic we wanted to talk about was just even like the broader strength and conditioning, you know, field. And, you know, we talked off air about this a little bit, but in addition to all the work you're doing with the NBA, like you still also work in an educational perspective as well, a little bit too. And which I think is phenomenal. Um, You know, I just said, you know, education is something that I think we all hold really dear and and Mm -hmm. something that we have a lot of respect for. So, just from a, from an industry perspective, like what do you kind of see is maybe the trends and and the things that are kind of moving in in a direction that again, like you like to see versus some of the things that maybe aren't from that perspective.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess, you know, that's a, I love that question. When I, when I think about that, I look at what are the things that are incredibly uh, polarizing or the the topics that create a lot of uh, divisiveness, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of disagreement uh, and, and we get into these, these tribes, which there's nothing necessarily innately wrong with tribes because of the fact that, uh, you know, they've been around for forever and they're part of evolution. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think they are important for sure. But uh, sometimes, if we're not aware of the potential ramifications of the tribes and the different biases that they lead to, we can find ourselves in tough situations where we are being incredibly siloed. We aren't um, opening up our funnel to receive information that might counter our specific biases. So um, I kind of approach it from from that premise and say, you know what are what are and why are certain topics uh, incredibly? challenging for people to have a civil conversation about or, or be judicious about. And, and I would say one of them, which, which probably will, will always exist is gonna be this premise of functional. And I've been on this for, I don't know, maybe like the past six months, I've really been thinking about like functional, what it actually means from like, what, what, is, what is your operational definition of functional? As well as, you know, I've been thinking about the, the concept operational definition being applied to other words as well that seem to have this this nebulous type of connotation associated with it because I think it'll allow us to truly have a better dialogue with individuals because we might potentially agree with similar methods and strategies or maybe we don't and it's all because of the fact that we we are on a starting ground where we have different operational definitions so I think it's it's important first to discover what that is yourself uh, and then present that to the table to, to uh, get on a, on, on a better starting ground for having a more conducive conversation. Um, so one of those is, is uh, f- you know, what is functional uh, as well as, you know, thinking about these concepts of kinematics and, and kinetics in regard to you know, kinetics. I'm thinking of capacity or these biological, biomotor capabilities of of force uh, expression um, or or strength, power, speed, uh, as opposed to the kinematics are going to be perhaps the way in which a movement manifests itself, or uh, form or technique, etc. Um, and I've really been thinking about this because there seems to be, you know, these as with everything, there's a there's a continuum but we kind of make this binary bias that there's only two options. So you either have to be on the camp that supports kinetics uh, and just force, right? And load is the end all be all, uh, or you're on the other side of the coin where it's gonna be uh, specifically kinematic. So how something looks and, and how the person moves. Um, and I think the, you know, that's a, a, a false sense of, of understanding, this complexity because we're simplifying it and we are reducing it down to something that I think is trying to help us in a sense, but I think in, in all actuality, it kind of harms us because again, it does preclude us from being able to, um, be able to, to to truly ensure that our patients, athletes, cli- clients can get back to their required and desired activities because we might um, miss miss the boat sometimes. And so for me, when I think about, all of this it all comes back to like obviously we can get into the specifics of you know the kinematics and and the uh, kinetics question and what functional actually is and, and dynamic correspondence but it all comes back to asking yourself you know what is my epistemology meaning like why do i believe x y and z i think that's incredibly important to you know just really start to journal and write down um you know why do i practice this or why do i why do I, I give these specific narratives to uh, my clientele? Uh, and then also thinking about what what are the, the benefits of this? But then what's another lens that I can look at to have gotten to this, a similar conclusion or outcome? Um, what's, a, what's an alternative hypothesis? So if I'm seeing someone uh, that, that's coming in with a particular injury or, or ache or pain, whatever it may be, um, if I come up with a, an initial hypothesis, maybe taking a step back to continue to refine and self appraise that process to say, okay, well, this is another potential hypothesis that might be uh, a viable, a viable uh, option in, in regard to, to why they have this manifestation of pain or injury. So uh, I, I guess, and hopefully I'm not being too tangential here, but I think for me, that's incredibly important is to really, I'm having recency bias, but I just read Adam Grant's. Um, uh, new book um it called think again and it really just prompted me to understand that it's not all about trying to acquire information and acquire knowledge but sometimes the process is about unlearning and rethinking the different types of information that was disseminated upon you so that you can reflect and refine and, and iterate in a more appropriate direction with more credence behind the decisions that you're making, as well as having, again, a more judicious uh, debate with people uh, and being potentially more amenable to, to their thoughts and their perspectives, because you could, you could maybe add some of that in to your practice, uh, and again, it could yield, yield more efficacious outcomes.
0: I think that's a that's a really interesting thing that you said towards the end there where you're talking about unlearning uh things yes. so what is your internal audit process for information that you've taken?
2: yeah uh, I think for me it's going to be probably three things um, one of them is going to be truly like writing i i have <laughs> I have notebooks literally everywhere, so I'm trying to do this year like spend a better time of. Uh, getting some kind of a, a platform uh, like technology platform or, or whatever it may be to actually put my all my notebooks just compile them and condense them into one uh, isolated platform where I can easily allocate it uh, but with that being said I have a lot of notebooks and what I do is just write out my thoughts um, and I'll write out just different different perspectives different theories uh, different things that come from from the research uh, thoughts that are there in my head biases I'll write those out and then what I try to do is go to the literature to see if I can find things that not only you know support but also things and evidence that may not support the information that I've written down just to see the the subtle nuances and the contingencies uh, that oppose my potential biases um, and then another thing that I, that I do like I said is is writing those things out and giving it to the world because it does no good to only self-appraise yourself because again we're, we're gonna try to quell some of our vulnerability by making ourselves seem like oh no that was great like good job Jared that was like solid man you're a smart guy you know what i mean but i think some of that we can we can resolve by truly by truly just putting ourselves out there um into the ether and so that's where the social media could come come in in handy, or just having a circle of people that uh, you know aren't like your yes man, but they're more so people that are giving you some sense of of doubt. Um, so they're good at asking questions that truly do make you rethink and I think that's what we we do a good job at, um, in regard to the Grizzlies like we have a very I think um, a, a very good group that that imparts this critical thinking uh, and, and it's not necessarily about you know breaking people down but it's trying to get to better solutions mm. or trying to be less wrong as often as we possibly can. Uh, so that's kind of you know what I often think about and, and my go-to in regard to self-auditing my progress for for unlearning certain concepts
0: follow up to that how hard of a skill was that for you to learn how challenging was that for you in the very beginning when it was like you you would go through would you ever go through things like sunk cost bias where you would look at what you've gone through and be like oh man I just wasted all this time and money on this and now it's useless
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah I mean for a hundred percent like Without question, I love the um, I love all those different biases and fallacies. I I definitely have done that, and it and it was challenging. But I guess what I try to also do with that is to say, all right, well, it's important to realize that even though as we progress and we're we're unlearning and rethinking and acquiring a different lens in which to view the world or the people in which we work with, it doesn't mean that because we are are maybe not using other methods that we once used because we feel as though they might not be that beneficial or conducive or credible. Doesn't mean that they were they were simply uh, useless or futile. I think what it means is that uh, we, we should, for one, look at the commonalities with those past uh, methods and, and, and strategies and techniques with the current ones that we practice and say, hey, what's the common link here? Uh, because a lot of these different um, th- these different camps, if you will, or tribes, uh, whether it is something like a PRI or FRC or a DNS, SFMA, they share a lot of commonalities, but we often uh, look at the dissimilarities between them. And that's what creates the the tribes and the divisiveness. So for me, it's like, okay, well, that's, and this, this past iteration of what I used to do is similar to what I currently do in this, particular regard. I'm going to make sure that I investigate this a little bit more because perhaps that's a staple principle that's a non-negotiable that I should uh, better understand and harness moving forward. Um, So it gives me a little bit more, I don't want to say certainty because I'm not sure certainty is something that we should be aiming for, but it, it, it allows me to feel, I guess, a little more secure in the decisions that I'm making and that they're grounded maybe in a little bit more of this, uh, a little bit more in, in, in credible evidence or or literature or laws um, within the scientific world. Um, so I think that helps a lot. And then also just the process of, you you know that you are inherently growing throughout this entire process right so just because again you're you're leaving things off the table as you discover that they might not be beneficial um it's it's for me i don't really get upset about that and say oh man like i wasted a ton of time because i know that my ability to discern what's important has grown and evolved and, and inherently i've grown and evolved as a person or As a clinician, so that in the future I may be I may be a little bit more equipped with uh, navigating the the complexity or discovering uh, something that is or is not going to be beneficial.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. I I think that's a great way of explaining it, and because I think we all go through that, you know, you we've all done a lot of acronyms, you know, at this point in our lives, and and the way that I typically look at it too is, you know, even all experiences, you know, reflect within our perceptions, right? So they all influence how we view everything moving forward, whether it's again, negatively or positively impactful at that point. And in finding similarities within these systems is something that I think, you know, most coaches should probably try to do because, you know, like you said, we, we focus on the differentiators because that's, that's marketing, right? That's Mm -hmm. how we do That's how we get allocation of resources, which is the coaches, that's the consumers. These are all, these are all companies and their brands and they're all, they've all got the same pool that they're fishing out of. And it doesn't do anybody any good to say, Oh yeah, we, you know, we agree with you on that. That's something that we can all, <laughs> you know, shake hands on and give each other high fives. It, it, you know, we always want to point out the differences there. And, uh, w- when I start looking at that from an industry perspective, you know, it's w- whether you're on social media or you're at a conference or you're, you're talking to your friends in the industry that, that might be in a different camp. The, the majority of the arguments and the majority of the conversations we have from that standpoint are, are really about minutiae, you know, in mm-hmm. most cases, you know, in my experience and, and also just like you said, even just uh, a lack of context. Right. And, and that's something that Matt yeah. and I talk about a lot because, you know, like we work with, like Matt works with literally some of the strongest people in the world from a powerlifting perspective. And I work with like two triathletes right now. Right. And the systems and the tools that we use are going to be incredibly different from an intervention perspective, just based mm-hmm. on those task demands being so oh, completely opposite, you know, in right. reality, right? You know, so saying that a, a system is beneficial in one realm and, and saying that it's not necessarily beneficial in another realm doesn't, doesn't define its utility from a, a good or bad standpoint. It just brings context to where we can actually utilize those things the correct way. And mm-hmm. And it, what I see mostly in the industry, more so than things being good or bad, is just misapplication, right? And, and that's something that we have so many conversations about, uh, just between the two of us, yeah. mostly ranting and making, <laughs> it. not not in a dignified way like this. Uh, but we wouldn't I, record those ones. We wouldn't record those <laughs> with people. But I, I just think that's a that's an amazing, you know, just. Uh, explanation of that because i think the the industry needs to hear that people who listen to this i think really need to hear that because uh the the dogma and the silos are are obviously super prevalent and, and that's what we see so much of
0: and I think this, it circles back really nicely to something you were talking about earlier, where if you're, if you're talking about people with different practitioner, different practitioners who have different acronyms, they may be like arguing the same concept with a totally different definition. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's a hugely, hugely important point that we, that you, you brought up earlier. is like, if you can talk to somebody and you can work on identifying the definition of terms and understanding what that person means, person means by neutral spine, full range of motion or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then you can find the common ground to have an actual conversation as opposed to just arguing about like your nuance is better than their nuance mm-hmm. or like your context is better than their context. You can have a better conversation and you can have uh, a better, like you can have a better relationship with those people based off of that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it, it really is because even thinking about, you know, like okay, so we'll, we'll I guess we can get into the weeds a little bit with functional. So it's like, I feel that most people, I don't wanna say most people because that's, that's overtly generalizing, but I, I believe that there are some people within our industries that will view the word functional as something that they observe as being uh, the emergent, similar to the emergent task. or or the terminal task, meaning the kinematics are closely linked to what that individual is going to have to eventually do uh, upon their release into the wild, right? So it's like, all right, well, while that is not inherently uh, uh, wrong or false premise, it does leave a lot left to be desired in regard to the word or the operational definition of function, because we might not necessarily restore the most uh, necessary constituents that will serve that individual the the most success upon their release into the wild. So, what I mean is that my operational definition of functional is going to be to provide the organism with the necessary affordances or trying to reduce uh, potential constraints in order to amalgamate those variables with other variables into the final solution to be successful for their required and desired activities. So if we take a specific example and we look at, let's say, someone with anterior knee pain or ACL reconstruction, you know, there's a lot that's been, you know, permeating throughout our industry in regard to uh, something as simple as a a leg extension exercise. Mm. Some camps may deem that as not being a viable option because of the fact that it doesn't simulate the same kinematics or the representativeness that that field athlete would need to 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 demonstrate if they're back into the 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 game and so what i would say is well if we were to only emulate and have this dynamic correspondence of those kinematic variables we might actually not impart the the stress to that tissue because we know with dynamic systems theory Mm -hmm. that people are going to potentially be able to achieve the dynamic terminal task but perhaps with a strategy that we don't deem as being successful for the long run, or it does not integrate the the isolated uh, tissue back into the equation uh, to 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 make sure that that person is quote unquote robust. Um, and so, if we can look at perhaps function from from that premise, then I think it will allow us to maybe have a little less device in regard to isolated versus integrated and compound exercises. That hey, this is just a, a snapshot in their entire program that we're gonna do these leg extensions right now to make sure we can isolate the tissue, we can impart the, the, and, and allocate the stressor there, we can increase the cross sectional area, mitigate atrophy, increase the uh, isolated production of rate coding um, and, and limit their aversion to stress and load so that when they get back into an integrated activity, especially something emergent, like deceleration, we know that they have the necessary requisite capabilities. And if they still have some kinematic uh, deviation from what we deem as being normal, we know that it's not because it's a lack of strength. So we can remove that as being a potential hindrance and say, okay, well now, what are the other potential constraints that are precluding them from being able to demonstrate the kinematic, uh, the kinematics that they need to be con- to be successful for that uh, that activity,
0: yeah. and I th- I think that's that's an awesome answer that's... to to that. And one of the things that I've always I've always seen is when something like that happens, or when you're doing things like that with people, the I've had multiple conversations with people where the the answer is just always, well, that we don't want to train bodybuilders. It's like a leg extension doesn't mean just because we're doing leg extensions doesn't mean I'm like trying to train IFBB pro like we're we're just trying to build up some like, yeah. and I, I, I like how do you have you ever had like experience of that or like dealt with that with other with other practitioners like on social media or anything like that and if so like how do you how do you deal with the fact that like if you're looking at biomechanics biomechanics apparently only men like matter for bodybuilders and it's quote-unquote functional <laughs> movement for everybody else
2: yeah, yeah, oh, I'm with you on that one. Um, I would say, you know, it, it kind of goes back, and this is probably with everything in regards to those those challenging conversations of asking um, how and why. So, you know, why do you believe this? And then how would you how would you explain your your theory or your premise in regard to you know how how does it actually work or manifest itself? And then lastly, what would potentially dissuade you or or maybe a better word is persuade you to maybe starting to accept some of the concepts that I'm trying to employ or impart. Um, so I think that kind of gives you some degree of understanding whether or not for one, it's even worth your time and effort and energy to engage in that conversation, right? Uh, but then two, to truly see if that person is open and receptive to having a a cordial conversation. So that's kind of where I start. Um, And then instead of, you know, I used to, I'm guilty of like initially just bestowing a lot of like literature and evidence at people, but then it's like, well, okay, if you actually read the evidence about disseminating evidence, it's actually not that beneficial for changing people's beliefs and their behaviors (laughs) anyway. (laughs) So it's like, it's like, all right, well, let me use those other strategies uh, and let me let me be the, the first one to kind of be the catalyst for getting them to, to change their thoughts by saying, hey, okay, I understand what you're saying about X, Y, and Z being functional. I do think that you know whatever it is that they're claiming to be functional is, right? I do think that this integrated compound, emergent, reactive, reflexive, whatever movement is, is functional and is an additive piece um, because of X, Y, and Z. And I also think that what I'm claiming to be functional could, could also be a part of that equation and the solution as well because of x y and z what are your thoughts so something like that i think um can can open up a better table for for people to have a a more symbiotic um uh, relationship moving forward in regard to the different professions
1: yeah i like that a lot and even circling back i think another another part of that answer a couple answers ago that really caught my ear i think is is looking at the the athlete's ability to self-organize especially at the the high level athletes that you're working with, where just because somebody completes a task, does not mean that it's repeatable long-term and it's done with the yes. same efficiency that you're looking for from uh, a motor perspective or a biomechanical perspective, or even from a stress and stimulus perspective perspective to uh, their goal from a in-game scenario versus like maybe a, a more predictive practice scenario unit you know, is, is someone who, Like I played, you know, small college basketball and it's like, okay, like you're in practice. Like a lot of it is very predictable. Like, you know, the drills you're running, there's Mm -hmm. no reactive component really to it. And it's very easy to kind of go through some of these like rehearsed, you know, three dribble pull-ups or, you know, some of the post drills that you might be going through or even, you know, defensive things. It's very different in game where you have to be tactical and, and reactive to nine other people on the court. Right. And, 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 you know, it is the dynamic system and you're dealing with fatigue management versus the fourth quarter versus the first quarter, right. Or Mm -hmm. different stressors. Like it's a two point game versus a 10 point game. You know, you're at home, you're on the road. And and I think that's where, you know, like self-organization is something that a lot of people only think of from a biomechanical perspective, but there's so many covariants that are going to go into that, that process And, and looking at, uh, rehab or performance from that perspective like for me it's it's really easy to just get like caught staring into the abyss uh, <laughs> for my you yeah know, in my experience
2: no I, I love it. all of what you just said because it is this confluence of so many different variables that go into you know the, the recipe uh, and sometimes you know I all I also think that some people, it's, it's either, again, everything is a spectrum or a continuum, but we, we either find ourselves at one uh, of the two ends of the, of the continuums and not necessarily living in the middle where, we're, where we should be perhaps more ambivalent. Um, and so sometimes people that are perhaps aware of all the different will will adopt this mindset of holistic health. Mm-hmm. And I understand where that comes from. But it, it potentially could have some some downside or some ramifications as well, because if we try to extend or expand our lens. Right. Don't miss the forest for the trees like this concept, then what what we potentially could do is just throw the kitchen sink at a problem. Because if we look at it through the lens of, oh, it's holistic and everything matters and it's all these different variables, which, yes, everything does matter, but it doesn't mean that it, it is and it's imperative on us to truly try to triage mm-hmm. that particular uh, uh, variable what happens i think is that we leave one bucket that might have been the most pivotal bucket we leave that uh something to be desired to be fulfilled right we, we it's like all right well if we understand that this individual probably just i don't want to say just needed but could have been very successful with having more of their allocation and time and energy uh, concerted to increase in cross-sectional area of the quads, right, thinking post-op ACL again as, a, as an example, um, then I think we're, we're we're better suited as opposed to where everything matters. So we'll do a little bit of quad, then we'll do a little bit of gastroxolitis, and we'll do a little bit of reactive stuff, and we'll do a little bit of this because we understand this concept of a dynamic systems theory, and we think we can outsmart it by trying to make sure we manage every covariant um i think we can we can find ourselves down a slippery slope with with that premise again understanding and appreciating the perspective in which which people have in regard to looking at it that way uh but then on the on the flip side we could have people that don't understand the the dynamic systems theory at all and so we become incredibly overtly reductionist in our thinking and we don't see all the other ways in which A movement may manifest, Uh, and so I think it's important to just be mindful of both of those and keep our peripheries open, but kind of remaining in the 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 middle. That
1: does not sell on the internet, Jared. No, (laughs) (laughs) No. it
2: doesn't. It doesn't. You're never
0: concrete answer. Now (laughs) you're
2: never gonna
1: get a hundred thousand followers. Nope. Yeah, I'm really.
2: Yeah, so you know what? I really think that's why I don't. I think. I think that's why I don't have. um, People will, like, will randomly like ask me, they'll be like, hey, why don't you have more followers? Or why don't, I'm like, ah, it's not really my priority per se, but yeah. I also think one hindrance is because of the fact that I, I'm not incredibly hyperbolic with my mm, statements. Absolutely. And I do kind of leave this level of, oh, I'm not quite, it's like, I, that's just not who I am. Yeah. I just want to curate critical thinking and I'm a critical thinker and I don't have the answer. So it's important to have doubt have humility mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and, and have curiosity as opposed to having this prideful conviction and yeah. overconfidence.
1: Yeah. you're just you're just not polarizing enough. you're a nice guy who, <laughs> who questions himself and is, is humble in the industry. It's like that's just never gonna fly from a marketing It's, it's, right. hard, it's hard for people but, to share it because yeah, like, like I can't argue
0: with him. he doesn't yeah. he's <laughs> arguing with
1: himself in the comments like yeah. you, just, you just need a, you need a better PR person all We just oh, need
0: I wanna... text boxes with one
1: sentence captions that are just, yeah, like, just... I hate <laughs> you because of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, let's blast them. Let's
1: blast them. So, I mean that does, that does lead us into uh, our last question, and, and this is one that we ask everybody, so it's always kind of fun. But you know, in the industry that you see, whether again, whether it's in person, in in uh, live within your little your section of the industry, or as a social media just phenomenon or, or whatever what are the things that kind of like what do you hate like what grinds your gears like what are the things that you just see and you're like ugh, that again yeah like that
2: type of yeah. thing. Ooh, uh, um, yeah Ooh, oh man um yeah
0: name names if you want to it's- <laughs> oh no, no
2: no no i guess uh probably for me a a, a concept where, and I'm blanking on the the name, but it'll probably come to me, watch it come to me when we're we're done with this. But essentially it's where, you know, when when people post an exercise or they post a a statement, um, essentially they're promulgating some piece of information about, or representative of their beliefs or their biases and their, their behaviors. And other parties, may castigate and denigrate that, inf- that that person for being vulnerable and willing to share where they are. Mm-hmm. And I and and the, the, the thing that I really don't prefer about that is that we've all been somewhere where mm-hmm. we have held on to different beliefs or ideologies or information that might not have been credible or uh might not have have been the most appropriate at any given time, so instead of you know giving that individual some degree of like, hey, I, I understand where they're where they're coming from. I can understand you know why they may think X, Y, and Z. Especially individuals that are currently in school, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just trying to to learn and they're they're going through this matriculation process from a, a, a knowledge acquisition and trying to understand how to integrate all the all this information that's disseminated upon them. Um, and, and along that, that, that road to quote-unquote success and mastery of whatever kind of skill that you're, that you're going for, there's going to be bumps in the road. And those bumps are vital. They're essential for truly learning because learning isn't this linear process where mm. we always are successful. That's the, that's the opposite of learning. So mm. learning has to uh, have some degree of us uh, having unsuccessful attempts. Mm. And so when we when we you know break those people down or again we castigate them uh then I, I think we're doing a disservice perhaps to their learning um because we 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 may make them feel less inclined to putting their self out there and and being willing to be vulnerable um but we also may make them more defensive and hold on to their beliefs even stronger so we don't actually Prompt them to truly rethink, right? So it's this cognitive dissonance kind of uh, uh, mindset. So for me, I think that's that's the part of uh, false. I think it's called false attribution uh, error, or false false attribution error, or false attribution bias. But essentially, it's where we're um, looking at people's. Behaviors as a consequence of who they actually like as their personality, as opposed to it being situational. So, we're looking at it as oh, well, they're just not smart, right? Or they're just not equipped enough to understand this. They're why do, why do they still preach this? Why are they posting this? As opposed to it being, well, perhaps it's the school that they went to that taught them this information. It's just going to take them a while, a little bit longer to get integrated within the workforce. To then be able to ascertain different modes of thinking and different schools of thought, um, so I think for me that's the thing that that I really, really don't don't like um, within our industry because it, it is just so profound uh, how often how often I see that and it's like well you were there before too right like you don't you don't you didn't know every single thing five years ago ten years ago you know so. Um, I, I try to keep that in mind when I see things that I might not necessarily prefer, because if I look back on my Instagram or an article that I wrote or a blog that I did or listen to a podcast I did years ago, I would probably say, what the hell was I talking about? What the hell was I doing? And that's a good thing because it means that we've grown.
1: Yeah. 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 I can't listen to podcasts I did two years ago. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, sometimes people even still like post them like in their stories. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like don't listen to that one. Yeah. I've had that a couple of times.
0: One. I just, I just don't reshare
1: that one. Yeah, like, I was Whoa. like, Oh, don't, I can't. <laughs> I, I was in a dark place in my life. I was, was in a different spot. Uh, yeah. I think that was, that was really good. And probably the most diplomatic answer that we've yeah. gotten so far. So I, I, yeah, I appreciate that as well because it's, yeah, I mean, it's easy to sit, like, to sit here as someone who's been in the industry for, you know, 15 years and, and act like I'm all high and mighty, but Man, I've, I've promoted some stuff now, you know, in, in the past with full confidence, probably too much confidence that I, I look back and I'm like, Oh, that, that just wasn't, wasn't even right in the context that I was promoting it, you know, <laughs> at the time based on the information I have now. And, and that's something I always try to, you know, remember with people too, is it's like, we're all just, we're all hopefully just trying to do the best we can with what we have available to us. Yeah. So I had one, one question
0: that I alluded to earlier that I need to, I need to, yeah. Yeah. So it is about social media and it's about Instagram. So if you guys don't follow uh, Dr. Boyd on Instagram, you guys are missing out on something because he's an epic lip (laughs) syncer. And I'm looking at your story highlight right now. And the last one you did was 32 weeks ago. When are are you going to give the people more of what they want?
2: Mm, You know what? (laughs) That's you know going to
0: blow up your Instagram more than anything else. That I might you know what, be Matt? I'm
2: going I'm to do that today. I'm going to do it today. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I'm do, what's today? Today is Today's Friday, th- fifth. Yep. March 5th. Yeah. March 5th, Friday, 2021. It is, it is 2 central. I'm going to do it today for anybody that's go. listening to this. So it's going to happen today within the next uh, hour.
0: There we yeah. go. That's, that's the one, the, the, the most, the biggest question. Cause I was like on your Instagram earlier, cause I was looking for stuff. <laughs> And I was like, "Yeah, he used to post lip-syncing videos all the time." And like, I looked at the high, the story highlight, and it's like a hundred and nine weeks ago, and then thirty-two <laughs> weeks ago. And I'm Like, we need to bring this back. This has been <laughs> these were so good.
2: That's because yeah, like we, we do. Yeah. And like, I fell the, off. I fell off a little bit.
0: And like, for for those of you guys listening, like, go watch the story highlight because he's like very, very yeah. good
2: at it, and gets like
0: super into it, and it's it's like really, really, and like, but that's that's one of the things, and the reason why I brought this up is because like. When we talked earlier about social media and you just being like authentically who you are, like that's an authentic part of who you are that most people probably wouldn't expect. And a lot of other people probably wouldn't have the courage to to even post or do something like that with. <laughs> so I think that's right, I think that's right. a that's a cool thing for, for people to see who are also aspiring to be into the yeah. same area because we like they'll listen to a podcast with you with you, and like you're such an intelligent person and you're so well spoken with stuff, but at the same time. You're also like you can be a total complete fool when you're lip syncing yeah. and have a great time, and I think that like showing that level of duality is is a hugely important thing for for people to understand that like it's it's a there's a lot more that goes on with a person than just what you hear on social media, and the mm. person is a lot deeper than that. So I think like that's the like there was an actual point for me wanting to bring this up because it's it's something that like it brings me joy to watch them, and it brings yeah. and, like I know like it it also would probably. Like people who are nervous of doing something authentic or posting something like that online would see somebody else who they respect tremendously do it. Who's highly intelligent, very well-spoken and very highly respected in the field. See that and go like, Oh, okay, well I can do that. I can do stuff like this too. And I don't have to worry about it.
2: He's singing into a stir spoon
1: right now. Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, man. I I, I love that, man. Wow. I, I really appreciate that. I think you've, uh, You've ignited a fire. I'm, I'm ready to go now. I'll take it. I might <laughs> have a concert today. I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: I will say that I was super happy for you when you got, like, when you transitioned to the NBA, but your content has definitely decreased since then. Yes. Like you're clearly, yes. you're, yeah, you're, you're very busy. Yeah. And I, selfishly, I do, I do miss the, uh, the content creation yeah, me too. as well, so. That's the downside for us, as your readers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try to. That's you know. I, uh, usually, when I post, to it's things that just kind of come come to my mind based off of conversation or thoughts that I'm having or something that I've heard. Uh, so that even that part is is relatively authentic, and I really want it to to be something that's purposeful. Um, but as you said, yeah, it's challenging to do that now. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to especially this summer right when we have a, a break and some more down downtown to start putting more stuff out there um and, and probably even start writing a little bit more in regard to like just blogs and articles stuff that's a little bit more thought out uh also yeah. awesome awesome so if you want to be found
1: where can everybody find you
2: yeah, the easiest place is Instagram. Uh, Dr. J. Fit Boyd. Uh, also, I'm a I'm a lecturer with uh, the Continuing Education Company R2P Academy. Um, so you can you can find me on there as well, R2PAcademy.com, um, and and that's really where we're trying to quote unquote bridge this this gap um, in regard to strength and conditioning, physical preparation, and reconditioning, and just laying down the foundation of scientific principles, uh, as well as giving some tangible methods and tactics that are going to go under the umbrella of these different principles. So there's lecture, there's lab components, and then there's also critical thinking breakout components as well. Uh, and I, it's, it's a really, really great, great course that combines a lot of different aspects within the entire uh, movement uh, industry.
1: Fantastic. That's really cool we'll link both of those in the show notes as well.
2: Yeah. No, I appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah. Dr.
0: Boy,
1: thank you so much for
0: coming on. We really appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Thank you for tuning in to compound performance radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.